Hi, welcome back to another episode of Civic List. I'm Matthew Camp. I'm joined by two individuals running for city council. It's Abigail Martin and Natasha Williams. Welcome. So really excited to have you both here today. We're going to ask a few questions so people could get to know you and why you're running. So that's my first question. I'll hand it off to um, Abigail. Why are you running for city council? Well, I'm a social worker and a political outsider. Uh, politics was never in the future plan until COVID hit. And watching COVID devastate New York City, devastate my home borough of the Bronx, um, I felt like someone with my background, a social worker who's worked on the ground, who's worked with vulnerable families, who understands what an economic crisis can do to families that are already rent burdened, that are already struggling to put food on the table, um, what it can really do to them. And I wanted to, it inspired me to get involved. So I decided to run this summer. I launched my campaign in August and it's been growing great since then. I, if I could just ask a follow-up. So how, how does your background as a social worker help you um, become a member of the city council? So I'm a forensic social worker. I worked in child child welfare. I worked in the Bronx Family Court for a long time and family court judges would assign uh, CASA volunteers. I was um, a staff, I managed and trained the volunteers at CASA to solve problems that could come up in a foster care case. And so those problems really span a huge gamut. We would help youth who are aging out of foster care, apply for NYCHA, apply for supportive housing. We helped youth go through the special immigration juvenile status so they could avoid being deported. We helped uh, arrange for sibling visits. We helped youth move across state lines. We helped parents advocate with the Department of Education. Um, we helped foster parents uh, um, not to get evicted. Lots of advocacy work, lots of work with city agencies. And so I learned how to get things done in city agencies and what it takes to actually get the agencies to provide the services that they're supposed to provide so that clients can receive what they need to receive. Um, and I yeah. think that that perspective is really important, especially on the city council when you're making budgeting decisions about what agencies to fund, about programs, about policy. That perspective of how difficult and bureaucratic New York City agencies can be is really important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So dealing with the agencies is a big part of the job. So it sounds like you've got that background. And um, Abigail is running for District 11 in right. the Bronx. And Natasha is running for District 27. And uh, so Natasha, um, uh, tell us why you would like to run for city council. Yeah, well, I'm running uh, because I've always imagined doing something bigger than myself. I didn't really know what that was going to be. Um, I, I didn't see myself um, running for office ever, but through a series of life events. So I've worked for the New York State Legislature. So in this sort of legislative body and having that experience, I also jokingly moonlight as an activist um, and through that experiences helped organize the first women's march and recently created the New York City Black Women's Political Club and have stayed really close to the activists of our times and their movements and 
sort of recognizing the gap between um, external stakeholders and internal people that are making the decision and wanting to uh, bridge that gap is, is why I'm running or propel me to run because I feel like I have that experience in both um, working outside, but also having that knowledge of how um, government works. Another thing, which is a little bit of a philosophical reason, but I am a true believer in democracy. I just don't think we are living in a functioning democracy. And if we actually were living in a functioning democracy and we properly uh, structured ourselves for a different way of governance, the system would speak more to the needs of what we want. So if folks were more involved in the deliberation process, there was true community input, meaning that we've asked you your opinion and now we're making a decision based on that opinion, we would see and government would reflect more of what we want and deserve. And so using city council, because city council, unlike other branches of government, city council actually has a lot of flexibility to be imaginative and um, have control over how you structure your office and interact with the community. And so really wanting to almost use the position as an organizing tool to truly bring power back to the community. So we are in charge of our institutions and resources in a real way is, is at the core of why I want to run and, and why I'm running. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea of getting the community input on an ongoing basis to inform the decisions you made. Mm -hmm. If we could dig a little bit deeper, what would be the process by which you get that community input? Yeah, we need to make sure that government is more transparent, responsive, and accessible. Oftentimes, it's neither of the three. And so transparency means that when there are decisions um, that are being brought to the forefront, right, whether it's a public hearing or a vote on a bill, we need to be more transparent about that process. New York City Council is actually a little bit more transparent than other branches of government. And so that's a plus, but we could always uh, improve that, um, making it responsive. A lot of times government is not responsive. You have an issue in the 27th Council District. We tend to have a lot of quality of life issues very simple things. My trash has been outside for a whole week, right? But that impacts you um, as a person who is living in a community. And so that means that government needs to be responsive to our needs. And so having a responsive office that also holds through the power of the city council office, agencies responsible for being uh, responsive in a real way, a fast and swift, efficient way to community members when they do have um, issues that need to be addressed and accessibility I think is probably the culmination and most important. And I often give this example, well, if you're a single mother with three kids and you care about your community, it's very difficult for you to attend a community board meeting that starts at 7 p.m. and might end at 10 p.m. I'm also on a community board, so know all too well um, mm -hmm. the, the, the lack of accessibility uh, that happens when you talk about um, engaging in deliberation, public deliberation to that level. And so we need to make sure that government is more accessible. So it looks like like meeting people where they are or creating these forums for whoever, wherever to actually participate. And so one of the great things, which I'm completely over being digital and do want to touch and feel people, but I think there's more engagement because people can just hop on a Zoom to engage in a meeting. And so we need to find better ways to make public deliberation, uh, civic engagement really accessible to the larger community. It looks like, and this is another example I also give is, we spend so much money trying to get us selected, right? Individuals elected. I'm hearing we spent almost close to like billions of dollars in Georgia to get two people elected. 
it's amazing, great, yay. Um, but that is a lot of resources to just get two people elected. And so what does it look like to use that same energy, time, and resources to organizing the community, educating, empowering, and inspiring them throughout the year? And that's one That's one of the things that Stacey Abrams actually did. They don't really talk about her methods, but when she lost the governor's race, she spent um, that, that whole gap really cultivating and organizing low propensity voters in Georgia. And so, you know, but still gearing towards voting. And so I am always looking at ways to be creative and innovative and gearing that towards actually issues um, and figuring out better ways to bring government right to people's doorsteps. Yeah, that's great. And especially using online platforms to, to engage, to be able to attend meetings, maybe that would be harder to attend and have that transparency, you know, like city council meetings over Zoom uh, for the, the general public. Uh, Abigail, how about you? What's, what's gonna be your process? What is your process and what will be your process for knowing what's important to your constituents? I think, you know, I just wanna touch upon uh, the issue of transparency. I'm a public school parent. My children, you know, the public school rollout with the Department of Education with COVID has been so frustrating and so abysmal. And one of the most frustrating things that I hear from my fellow parents is a lack of transparency. Why did the Department of Education make this decision? Why is this happening? Why is the mayor coming on and saying A, B, and C? Why is the chancellor saying this? And I hear that theme throughout everything. So I, I agree. I think transparency is so important and absolutely something that I will bring to my role in city council. And I, I brought to my role as a social worker. Now, when it comes to being out in the district and figuring out what is important to people and how to reach people, I think you have to be out there. You have to be present. When I launched my campaign, I um, my camp, uh, District 11 is made up of Wakefield, Woodlawn, Riverdale, Van Cortland Village, Kingsbridge, Norwood, Bedford Park, and Spite and Dival. And I knew going into this that um, a concern of all of the neighborhoods with the exception of Riverdale was that Riverdale gets all of the attention, all of the politicians come from Riverdale, they get the resources and we're, we're forgotten. And so from day one, I launched my campaign in, in every neighborhood and, and ended in Riverdale last. And I, I was just on the ground, just being out there, which is so difficult to do with COVID, right? You got to do the math, you get, but you have to do it. We would walk the streets and I met so many people that would share with me their concerns. So I think when you are um, preparing to run for office and to represent the people, you have to be talking to the people and the businesses and the lifeblood of the community and really hear from them what, what is important to them. Mm -hmm. And what is, what is most important in your district? What are the top two or three things that you hear about the most? Um, there's a lot of sanitation issues all throughout the district. You know, with COVID, the Department of Sanitation's budget had a huge cut. And, and we saw that throughout the city, definitely within my district immediately. And that does impact your quality of life. And when you walk outside and you see trash everywhere, that, that impacts your psyche, that impacts how you feel about your neighborhood. And it has a, a domino effect. So sanitation is a huge problem in my district. Food insecurity is a huge problem in my district. We have a lot of seniors, they're homebound, they're struggling to get food. We have families who are struggling to get food. Certain neighborhoods of my district were hit exceptionally hard by COVID, exceptionally high rates of unemployment. 
um, the organizations up here that can that have been um, that have pivoted so that they could start serving food rest we've had restaurants that just all of a sudden are doing their own pantries. They have just opened up a pantry and people are lining up out the door every week. We have centers that were already doing pantries that are doing twofold. So food insecurity, sanitation issues, safety is always an, a concern on people's minds as well. Mm -hmm. and, and then Tasha, do you, does your district share some of those same issues or? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I would say top three would be housing youth development and protecting our seniors. So I think the senior piece is, is important. We also have food insecurity issues in certain parts of the district as well, but um, I think it gets wrapped into our most vulnerable populations that can't actually access the food, right? Because there are people in our community that drive and can go find food. Um, but, but if you don't drive, um, if you are bound to your house, um, those are issues that we have in the 27th council district as well. But housing is a big issue. We, um, we have such great statistics, right? We have some of the highest rates of like black home ownership in the city. Um, but then we also have some of the highest rates of foreclosures not in the city, not in the state, but in the country. Southeast Queens was one of the hardest hit communities during the foreclosure crisis, um, essentially due to uh, racial uh, uh, sort of loans from banks and, and how um, all of that stuff uh, had a ripple effect in 2008. And the community is still struggling to recover from that. And a lot of people have um, since possibly renegotiated their mortgages in the wake of COVID, which might exacerbate the existing issue that we have. And so housing is such an important issue in the 27th Council District because there really hasn't been a comprehensive plan that protects working class homeowners. I think sometimes people think homeowner and they think that you have lots of money, but these are like teachers and nurses and, you know, other civil servants who make modest incomes. Maybe they inherited the home, right? Maybe a lot of times people um, sort of, I don't know what the word is called when you, it's coming you sort of, you, you redo your mortgage where you can like buy into your home. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so right. a lot of people refinance, that's the word I was looking for. A lot of people may refinance the home. So they might've, um, the house might've been passed down from their grandparents, but maybe their mother refinanced. So they have a loan or maybe they refinance because they have another quality of life issue like um, an old tree. <laughs> I always joke, old mm -hmm. trees are really a big problem here because yeah. what happens is they uproot the sidewalk and as a homeowner, you are responsible responsible for your sidewalk to repave a sidewalk could be like $10,000. Right. And so if you work a modest income, you might have to take out a loan. And so um, there's a lot of, a lot of those type of scenarios around housing that are very unique to working class homeowners. Um, we have a lot of zombie homes and vacant lots in the district that bring down property value. Um, and in the same vein of property value, our homes, you know, we pay more taxes than other people in the city. And so how is it that we are hit hard with foreclosures? Um, we have tons of zombie homes, but, you know, the average 
price house here, maybe $400,000, $500,000, um, is paying the same amount in taxes as a $4 million brownstone in Brooklyn. And so nothing against Brooklyn. I love Brooklyn. Um, but I think when we, when we talk about these issues, we need to talk about equity and finding real solutions to help struggling homeowners in the 27th Council District. And then youth development is really important. We don't have a lot of places for our youth to go. And so I'm also on a board of a crisis management um, site, which is they, they use the cure violence model to reduce gun and gang crime. And so as a board member of Life Camp, um, they do a lot of youth development work just as in the nature of sort of interrupting violence and providing wraparound services for youth and adults in the community. And so when we talk about the rise, 166% rise in gun crime, when we talk about the rise in gang crime, we have to also ask ourselves, what are the opportunities that our youth have in the community? And there really is none. Um, we're not able to access schools when school is over. We don't have community centers. There's one in the district that's completely dilapidated and not accessible to the larger community. And so we need to have productive and safe places for our youth to go. Um, Cause I think that's also a way to address public safety. If you have, um, if you're giving people tools for success and they're not having all this idle time to possibly get in trouble in the streets then you ultimately have a better um, community overall. And then protecting our seniors, we also, have some of the highest rates of seniors in the 27th council district between our two community boards. And these are also folks who might still, you know, they own their home, but they might be on a fixed income. And so having to manage all of the bills that come with owning a home is very costly. Um, seniors are still highly uh, subject to tons of frauds. And, you know, on the community board, I can tell you that the number one thing that the precinct always reports on is the number of scams um, for our seniors. Mm -hmm. So those are like the top three and I could probably yeah. go, on and, go on, and on and on and on about each one of those top three, but those are like the most salient issues. Um, and then I will also say transportation, throw that in there, maybe infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We live in a transportation desert. So, mm -hmm. you know, you might have to take a bus to the train or, you know, a car to the Long Island Railroad to the New York City train. So um, transportation still remains an issue, especially again, when you think about the average median income. And again, these are working class people that then have to pay, um, you know, I think full price, the Long Island Railroad is like $10 and I don't know, 50 or 25 cents. What a round trip is $20 a day, in addition to paying for the regular subway. Yeah. It's very expensive and it's also time consuming to um, get to where you need to go around the city. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, definitely a wide variety of challenges in, in both of your communities um, that you're definitely uh, well tuned to. Um, I was wondering what's surprised you both so far in the last several months since you've been campaigning and, and things like that. So Abigail, what, what surprised you? Um, what has surprised me? Um, one of the things that surprised me is that only 1% of small businesses in the Bronx got the PPP in the first round. Wow. And Wonderful. what has surprised me is how hard it is for our small businesses in the Bronx and in my district 
to get the resources that they need and they're really struggling. We just had one close this weekend. We have another one that's in danger of closing and I'm sure there's many others. Um, and it's, it's a huge concern of the constituents in my district where we're seeing businesses close left and right. Are there any um, businesses or organizations that you, you've learned from or want to give a shout out to? I'm just wondering if there's any, any group you wanted to highlight that's, that's maybe struggling or doing great work. You know what I'd like to highlight is the bids, the business improvement mm -hmm. districts. Um, there's two in my district, the Jerome Gunhill bid and the Kingsbridge bid. And both of the people that work there, I've talked to them, I've built relationships with them. And I hear, um, I spoke with one woman yesterday um, and you could just hear in her voice how defeated and sad she felt knowing that one of the businesses that's been in her community on the corner of um, Gun Hill and, and Jerome was a danger and likely to close. It, it's wow. definitely in danger of closing. And she just, she felt that pain and, um, she works so hard. They all work so hard to support the small business owners. You know, there's a lot of barriers to, to having a profitable small business in New York City. There's, I think, over 16 agencies that inspect on a regular basis. There's so many fines that small businesses can get fined for. Um, there's a huge technological gap. A lot of small business owners don't even necessarily have an email address. They've been in business for 30 years and they've been doing fine without one. So why get one? But now in order to apply for PPP, you need an email address. I yeah. mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, barriers to success and 50% of the workforce in New York city is due to small businesses. So we need to do better and we need to figure out how to help small businesses through this pandemic. Yeah, yeah definitely a lot of small businesses struggling. And Natasha, what's, what surprised you recently? I would say, and it's not necessarily attributed to COVID per se, but just being out there and talking to people. I know I just mentioned this whole thing about homeowners, but one of the things that I've been learning is we also have a lot of tenants. And one of the issues with tenants in Southeast Queens specifically is that we don't have the density. And so when you, I've worked as a chief of staff for a member in Brooklyn. And so tenant issues, tenant organizing is a big deal there. Uh, but they also are able to um, sort of draw from various resources because they have so much density of tenants. And so in Southeast Queens, there isn't that same organizing apparatus for tenants because we just don't have the density of folks who are actually renting. Um, and so there's a building in the district that has a very, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, a, a terrible landlord. And um, it was very shocking to see the conditions of the building. And this is a building that's on one of the main streets that I travel on all the time. Uh, and so to just see the conditions of the building, to know that the people in the building don't have the resources that they need now, they are getting some, some help from a, one, one, one of the only local organizations we have here that help tenants. Um, and so that, I think that was the most shocking thing because as a homeowner myself, I think I always, and it's always the narrative because we do have issues with homeowners here and it's, it's, it's the bulk of the people that live here, but we also have a lot of issues, tenant issues that other boroughs um, are dealing with. 
but I don't think that it is known in the same way as when we think about tenant organizing, I just think about the Bronx and Brooklyn. And this is just as a person who has worked in this space, I automatically think about these areas, but um, it's been shocking or um, interesting to learn about some of the unique issues that tenants have in Southeast Queens that often isn't a part of the conversation because again, we just don't have the density. It's it's, they're here, but they're not here in very large numbers. And then I would say the other thing that's been interesting or shocking is just truly like the lack of information. And people don't really know how to plug in. You know, it's like, I have this issue with my trash. Um, what can I do? Well, there's the Department of Sanitation. Not to say that the Department of Sanitation is going to be responsive, but just being able to connect the dot in terms of who is responsible for what and just the flow, right? You can go to community board. You can go, did you know that, you know, you had this council member Miller here, his office is literally down the block from you, or you can speak to Senator Carmi about this issue, or did you try this organization? So there is definitely um, an absence of information and so um that's that's really always shocking to me it's not new but again as i'm interacting with so many people at one condensed time it's it's the thing that sticks out to me because yeah you know it's it's a part of the problem like people are just not aware of how to even improve their own conditions and yeah. oftentimes that leads to them being very disenchanted by government uh, which oftentimes leads them to not want to be a part of the process which then often leads to government not being responsive um, or catering to the needs because these folks are not a part of of that yeah. cycle it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that, oh, they're not going to do anything. But yeah, th when COVID first started, I remember it, I was super concerned and wanted to reach out as a constituent to the folks that represent me. And I, I got a list of emails and phone numbers. And it was like, I think close to 14 offices, city council, state assembly, Senate, U.S. House, you know, and then the, the different committees, the executive branch departments and so on. And so many people it's their job to represent us. So I think, you know, what you all are both advocating for increasing transparency, access, and you as a city council member have this really <laughs> important connecting role between what is on people's minds and what problems they're facing and all the agencies uh, in government and as you said, the community organizations. So um, we're dealing, you know, we've chatted so far a lot about some heavy issues, some, some complicated thorny things that regular people are facing. Um, and I think a lot of the time politics is uh, about storytelling and, and about condensing or reducing those complicated issues into something a little more pithy. So I wondered if you had any stories of a constituent or somebody in your community uh, that you wanted to share or somebody, an instance of, of something that would be emblematic of a, of a larger challenge or success? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's kind of hard to uh, pick just one. You know, I, when Natasha was talking about um, encountering someone who was, was living in poor, um, poor conditions inside their building, I've encountered that too. I've had somebody showing me pictures on her cell phone of what happens when it rains and how her toilet floods and then it floods the and, it, and she can't stop it because she's in a basement apartment or first floor apartment and the water comes up and there's 
And, you know, so there's been a lot of stories like that. Um, one of the things that I've been really inspired by, by the people in my district is there, there does seem to be a lot of energy around mutual aid and trying to help each other. And people do seem more um, aware of um, government and politics and how to help than I, I have seen before. And so watching that energy happen, we have two friendly fridges in my district. Those have been watching those come up, watching all the people um, trying to be involved and volunteer and keep them full has been um, really inspiring. Um, so that's what stands out to me. Yeah. I would say the biggest thing that I always try to connect the dots around and I think most people, especially marginalized people, communities of color, they're really issue-based voters, right? Like, what, what is this vote going to do for me? Um, and so one of the things, and, you know, I always tell people, like, listen, I, I am, I take very seriously what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you to essentially shave off a little bit of your power and entrust it in me to make a decision on your behalf. That is a big deal. That there is power in what you are doing. And so I take that very seriously. And so I think a lot of times, um, which is indicative of this sort of like the foundational um, in, in theory way of, of how I look at, at the, my campaign and just this, this idea of governing is really getting people to understand the seriousness in just the most simplest thing, which is voting and how that impacts their quality of life. And so for, you know, my activist friends or for, you know, the young folks on the street, okay, you hate police, but guess what? The mayor appoints the police chief. Right. And so like, you know, like really connecting, connecting those dots for people. And this one story I can think of, um, which is, again, just indicative of everything is, you know, I met a woman who um, said that her husband, her husband had served in the military. Um, he purchased their home, the first, you know, their first home in, in St. Albans, and um, the home was paid off. She didn't tell me this, but what I gathered is that she probably refinanced the mortgage at some point. Um, and so now she informed me that they are $300,000 in arrears and she's on a heart monitor. And the only reason why her electricity and, and gas is, you know, is on because she's on this heart monitor. And um, I think she is almost a senior. And so she was talking about um, not understanding or not knowing how to receive the benefits of being a senior. Mm. And so she talked about not being able to go to the pantry, certain pantries. And she talked about not being able to leverage the services to help with her mortgage. And again, like if you looked at this house, right. And this is what I always say about Southeast Queens. It's a very beautiful neighborhood. We have grass, you know, most people's lawns are manicured. Not everybody's, but most people's, but like, if you look at this house, it's a nice house, it's a beautiful house. She's a beautiful person, beautiful woman, but just to listen to the story. And I just know that that story is not unique. So many people are dealing with that. And so, you know, it's, it's great to have this beautiful house, but if you are $300,000 in arrears and the only reason why your electricity is still on because you have a heart monitor and then you are lost and don't even know um, where to find resources, there is a problem. Like there, there is some type of safety net that um, just doesn't exist because she's falling through multiple cracks. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's just one story that I could think about that really touches on a lot of things. It touches on the senior yeah. issue. It touches on housing. It touches on food insecurity. It touches on um, all of these compounding issues that many people are facing in Southeast Queens. Yeah. Yeah. That, that phrase you use compounding issues really sums it up. And I wonder just as for our last question, if there's a compounding solution, mm. you know, it, it's maybe a pie in the sky thing, but if you both were to pick just one, one thing that you would want to, one impression, one idea that you want to leave uh, our viewers with, what would that be? You can start with Abigail. I think the idea that I want to want everybody to be left with when it comes to my candidacy is that I recognize that even before COVID, New York City was squeezing middle-class and low-income families and those on fixed incomes. It was too expensive to live here. Um, so many families were rent burdened, were just one small crisis away from being evicted. And COVID has, has shined a light on that problem, but that is a huge problem. And if we're gonna rebuild New York City to be a city that is just and equitable for all, we have to focus on the affordability of the city. We have to focus on the cost of public transit, the cost of housing, the cost of just living and being here and figure out how to get money into people's hands you know, we can come up with incredible programs, but programs are very expensive. Let's figure out ways to, to get money in people's hands and, and let them um, have a way by which they can buy more food and, and pay their rent and be less rent burdened. Um, so that's what, that's what I would like to leave everybody with is, is New, York, New York City is going to rebuild from this crisis and we need to rebuild it in a way that is affordable and equitable and just for all New Yorkers. I don't have to say anything else. You know, I could say definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything that Abigail just said. I think the only thing that I would add is just back to this idea of, of centering the people most in need. And I don't think we do that all the time. I know that progressive taxing measures is really a state issue, but we need to figure out ways to increase revenue for New York City residents to be able to, to provide these type of resources. Um, when Abigail was speaking, I was thinking about universal basic income. I'm a fan of that. And I know that you know other cities have implemented different pilots of that program and so what does that look like in New York City especially when we talk about affordability and the 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 opportunities that people have to just live their lives nothing more or less but just simply go about their everyday life and the cost of that in New York City is very high um, and and just the last thing I would leave is is again this idea of true community input and a part of decision making I really don't think that the community is involved at large when decisions are made and often they do not represent the larger um, ways of, of thinking or, or the, the larger solution that folks who are, are dealing with the pain and issue themselves um, want to see. And so really taking uh, heed to what the communities need, especially the communities who are marginalized most in the city and often um, are not a part of uh, the decision-making process. I don't know if anybody noticed, but we're wearing the same shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like you, you've got 
very uh, on the same wavelength in terms of making the city a better place and fashion decisions, all the important <laughs> things that matter. And in serious, I really admire um, what you both had to say so much. I uh, just want to thank you for, for your ideas and your time today. So best of luck on your campaigns and um, we'll help get the word out for you both. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Matt. You. Yeah. All right. Yeah.